Hey, Philo community. I can't believe that we're already in August. Man, the summer seems to be slipping by. Wow. If you're new to the Philo podcast, our goal is to help technical artists in the local church to become more effective so that our churches can become more effective. And we do that through the Philo Conference, Philo Coaching, Philo Resources, Philo Staffing, and this, the Philo Podcast. And speaking of the Philo Conference, we've been working on creating a version of the event that we did back in May, but in Espanol. It will be on September 4th and 5th, which is a Friday night and a Saturday morning. And we're adding subtitles to some of the breakouts we did at Philo Chicago, and we're overdubbing some of the main session talks. Not only that, but the worship team from Lake Point Church in Dallas that leads their Spanish congregation, they're going to be leading us in worship. And I'm giving a new main session talk. It's going to be great. And we also have some new breakouts that will be taught in Spanish from Ivan Talamantes, as well as the band Barack. If you know anyone from Latin America that could benefit from the Philo experience, yeah, consider passing it along. Also, if your church supports other ministries in Latin America, maybe your church could help pay for their production team to attend. If you're interested, we've got all the details on our website, philo.org slash philo2020nespanol. Perhaps you could tell from the title of this episode that we are going to be talking about the latest Philo resource, the book, I Love Jesus, But I Hate Christmas, tackling the challenges of being a church technical artist. And for today's episode, we're going to mix things up a little bit. Instead of me interviewing someone, we had someone interview me. I could tell you it was a little strange, but it was also nice not to have to think about how to keep the conversation going. Anyway, let's just jump right into it. And afterwards, we have a few more announcements. All right, Todd Elliott, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. And the listeners at this point don't even know who I am. Right. Um, my name is John Jorgensen, everyone. Hello. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, sort of the work that I do is I'm a creative freelancer is the best way to describe it, I guess. Um, I do a lot of video work, um, working with social content, different creative elements amongst mostly churches um, sort of around the country. But my relationship with Todd goes back several years as I think I've been at the last four Philo conferences now. Wow, yeah. Um, yeah, helping out with social content and highlight video stuff for you and Chelsea. Uh, and then this past Philo, I had the honor to teach a breakout. So that was super fun. But today is not about me at all. <laughs> um, today we are flipping the script a little bit on this Philo podcast platform. And we're actually introducing someone uh, and interviewing someone who needs absolutely no introduction. And that's you. All right. <laughs> How do you feel about being interviewed so, on your own podcast? I'm so excited. I love, you know, as a tech person, I love being the center of attention. I love being on stage. I love, mm. uh, yeah, everybody looking at me. Yeah. I, yeah. Is, if there's one thing I know about you, Todd, it's that you <laughs> love being the center of attention. That's why you started Philo. Yeah, just right. So just for the attention I would get. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny now that we're talking about it, that there was a time in my life where my goal was to be the center of attention, which seems so foreign to me. Like, who was that person? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it, was a, it was a long time ago. <laughs> well, today, today you get to kind of reclaim okay. that youthful dream. Yeah. Because <laughs> today is you you are the interviewee today. Oh. Um, but specifically, I guess the really the center of attention today is not necessarily you, but your book. Yes, this is the book. a book. 
this is a huge, exciting project. And I should start off by saying congratulations as someone who does some writing himself and who has written uh, larger projects like a book. It is no small or easy task to do. Yeah. I mean, to think about 50,000, 60,000 words on pages. Yeah, that's, uh, I can't believe I've done it too, to be frank. But it's so amazing to have it, have a thing. We got a thing now that we put out there. (laughs) We made a thing, it exists. And the thing is called, I love Jesus, but I hate Christmas. Uh, And that subtitle is tackling the challenges of being a church technical artist. So there's a couple things that I want to talk about with this book. I want to talk about the title, but not okay. just yet. All right. <laughs> and I want to talk about obviously the content within the book. Cause I've read the book now. I read it this past week, loved it. Five Thank stars. <laughs> <laughs> Review but, it on Amazon today. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we'll get there as well. Yeah, okay. But uh, before we dive into the actual content of the book, I would love to hear about kind of the origin stories of it. Where did this idea come from? How long has it been sort of in process? Can you pinpoint where the idea for it started? Yeah. I mean, there's so many stories kind of wrapped up in this book. Uh, A lot of it honestly comes back to just who I am and what my journey as a technical artist. So I, I started as a technical director at a church in Michigan back in the 90s. And just grew as the church grew, struggled along, you know, had no idea what was going on half the time, kind of being in this weird spot then eventually of I'm, I'm a tech person, but I'm leading people. And this seems way more complicated than just plug a mic in and make it work. So I, I learned a ton in those years. I was there about 11 years and, you know, figured out kind of things that mattered to me, things that didn't, uh, values and how to go about trying to thrive as a technical artist in a local church. And I, I thought my, my situation was super unique, you know, just true to where I was and who I was. And, but then I, when I moved to Chicago to start working at Willow Creek, I realized that the same challenges existed there as well. They were more universal than just me. And being at Willow Creek, being exposed to lots of other people from lots of other churches, realizing that this thing that we're struggling with, it's not just me or two or three other people. It's, it felt like a universal challenge for tech people in the local church that the struggles and challenges that I was facing, everybody was facing. And so... It can, sorry, I'm going to interrupt yeah. and interject here. Can you pinpoint perhaps what a few of those challenges were that yeah. you were discovering were universal? Yeah. So just even thinking about, you know, at, at Kensington, the church I worked at in Michigan, I really wrestled with the worship or the, you know, the worship leader. We, we didn't always see eye to eye. We generally were fighting a lot. We were misunderstanding <laughs> each other a bunch. And then uh, when I got to Willow Creek, wow, it was kind of the same thing. Like we just, we don't see eye to eye. And or even seeing, you know, Willow Creek, uh, we had a very large team back then and all these ministries with their own technical people. And I would generally be in meetings with those tech people saying, hey, I'm really having struggling with my worship leader or getting along with my creative person and we're fighting all the time and we don't see eye to eye. I'm like, okay, this is this is uh, something that exists everywhere. And I, I would say too, in the early years of when I was in Michigan, I would come to Willow Creek for conferences and in the tech breakouts, we would just talk about gear and budgeting and 
you know, kind of the nuts and bolts of having a production ministry. And I kept thinking, how come we're not talking about the elephant in the room, which is I can't get along with my creative counterparts or I'm really struggling with boundaries or, you know, just kind of more of the human side of the technology, not just the the nuts and bolts. And so that was probably 2001, 2002, I started realizing that. So, you know, I was already 10 years into this as a staff person at a church realizing that, okay, this is not just me, but this is something that we're all struggling with. And so that, you know, that really led to the very beginnings of the idea of Philo. So in Detroit, gathering tech people together just to share ideas and just to laugh at the same jokes about, oh yeah, my worship leader does that too, or <laughs> uh, I don't have answers for you, but we we struggle with the exact same thing. And just mm. that kind of, yeah, that's kind of where it all started, I guess. Yeah. And so then, well, I'll say this first. I think, you know, for me, I'm a person who kind of oscillates between the stage and kind of the behind the scenes technical work. And what's been so valuable for me in reading the book and being a part of Philo is I've heard you talk at length about that gap that exists Mm -hmm. that you're talking about between the stage and the tech booth. And I think this book and the and the work that Philo does has made me so much more aware of it and given me a desire to begin to build that bridge. And I think that's what the work of Philo is and what this book, uh, I think, will do for people. So that's my personal, oh, that would be my Amazon you. review after my five stars. <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, so then when were the first words of this Penned. So clearly yeah. it's, it's several decades in the making in terms of, you know, your mind and your heart. Right. But when did you actually start, when did you sit down and you're like, I'm going to write a book? Yeah. When did I decide to write a book? I think the, honestly, I had a meeting, a uh, recurring meeting every week that was two hours long. And if I'm honest, I felt like it was an hour and a half too long. Like we just sat there. <laughs> uh, I was bored out of my mind for most of it. And so we all, it was a meeting where it was kind of acceptable to have your laptop open. And so I just thought to myself, okay, I need to figure out a way to, to seem engaged in the rest of this meeting. So what can I work on that will capture my attention? And so I just started, I opened up a Word document, you know, blank. And for whatever reason, I titled it, if I ever wrote a book, these would be the chapter titles. No. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And so, yeah, so I just started writing down chapter titles. You know, what what kinds of things would I talk about? What would the book be about? And then just, you know, over the course of, I don't know, a year or two years, like just lots of these meetings, the that document started getting filled up with sub points and illustrations and, you know, just like little example. Oh, this story about this time would be mm-hmm. a good thing under this chapter title and and when was that? Like That was like 2005, something oh, like wow. that. Okay. So a while ago. Yeah. And through a series of, I don't know, like events where God was trying to get my attention in a three-day span, I, I went to see the show Wicked in Chicago and the, the song Defying Gravity. Uh, it's like the big showstopper at the end of act one. I'm like, mm-hmm. I really admire the fact that she doesn't care what anyone thinks. She's going for it. She's going to defy gravity and up yours. And I was sitting <laughs> in the back row thinking, I wish I had a little more of that in my life. You know, just oh. that I would just, let's go for something. I don't care uh, what people think or if it fails or succeeds, whatever. 
Inspired by Elphaba, the wicked witch right. of the so West. So I, I, I dyed my skin green and tried to fly in a broom. <laughs> that didn't work. So I decided, you know, maybe try something else. But then the next day at the church, we had this prayer team, people that would just come and pray for you. So at our this two-hour meeting, the prayer team came and just went around and laid hands on people and prayed for each of us individually. And as a tech person, I don't really love people being in my space. So I was already a little bit uncomfortable with people touching me. Mm-hmm. But these people who I did not know individually would come over and pray for me. And they almost, all, I think all of them, four or five people, they all prayed basically the same thing, which was, you know, pray for that Todd would trust you, that, you know, f- you will be responsible for the outcomes, but he would just go for it and, you know, and let you worry wow. about the results. So that doesn't matter what people think or if it succeeds or not, you know, that he would just mm-hmm. trust you. And I'm thinking, that's weird <laughs> that I was just thinking this yesterday. And now this is what these people are praying for me. I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, well. Yeah, it took me a while. I'm like trying to process it, you know. So then the very next day, I had a meeting with somebody to talk about the book Strength Finders, which was back in those days, Marcus Buckingham's Strength Finders. You take a test. It tells you what your strengths are. I needed some help kind of deciphering what does any of this mean. So this that we had a person on staff that was, uh, I'll call an expert on Strength Finders. And so I had set up a meeting with him maybe two months prior. This was the only time you could meet. So we meet and we go through the strength finders thing. And a part of his process was, hey, just tell me your story. So I talked for an hour or something like that, telling him my life story. And at the end of it, I said something like, yeah, so the one other thing about me is that I never get uh, excited or angry. I'm just kind of even keeled. I never, uh, you know, I don't really show emotion, which makes me great as a technical director because you know, things could be falling down around me and I'm just going to stay calm the whole time. And he said, yeah, I think you're, it's, uh, that's an excuse and you're just hiding behind that. But really, um, you're afraid that if you go for something that you're going to fail and, you know, you should just like maybe start learning to go for stuff and just deal with the failure and maybe it'll succeed. You know, just kind of the same thing that I've been hearing. Mm-hmm. And I uh, went home and was journaling a bunch because I'm like, this is the weirdest three days of my life. I don't know what to, what is going on. And so I'm like, God, are you trying to get my attention? If, if so, what are you trying to tell me? And so I, in that period of time, I would journal. And then at the end of my journaling, I would say, you know, God, what do you want me to do? Question mark. And then I put my pen down. And the answer was write a book, write that book, you know, that document you've been working on, do it. Mm. And don't worry about if anyone reads it, don't worry if it never, you never sell one copy. That's not the point. The point is going for it. Mm. And yeah, so that, that was really the, when it, when the doc, you know, the word document went from just something to keep me, you know, from falling asleep in a meeting to, okay. I'm going to start really working on this. And I would love to say, you know, it took, you know, I worked on it for six months and cranked it out and got done. But that was 2006 when all this happened. So, yeah, it took me a while to actually get it done. So 15 (laughs) years of, uh, and honestly, yeah, a lot of writing, 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 a lot of this is too hard. So I'm just going to write a blog instead to, okay, let's get back into it. This is too hard. Stop. You know, a lot of that. And and I would say then for me, it, it got down to a place where when we started doing the Philo Conference, 
at some of the churches we met, they said, hey, do you have any resources you'd like us to offer in the bookstore at the church? And I kept thinking, there isn't anything. There's mm-hmm. nothing you can offer this group of people that exists. And so maybe there is something and I just don't know about it, but I'm just, I've n- yeah, not seen something that fills this category. Yeah, the, the not just technical and practical wisdom and advice, but also the heart yeah. and the ministry of it. Yeah, and I think to me, the technical side, there's some great resources out there about learning how to use your soundboard better or your lighting board or whatever. But they're the softer side of being a, you know, being a human as a tech person, there's nothing out there that tells you kind of how to navigate your way through mm-hmm. that stuff. And so, yeah, after a few years of doing Philo and being irritated by the fact there's no resource, I'm like, well, let's make one. And let's finish that stupid thing. And, (laughs) you know, I want to say, you know, having, being obedient to God sort of calling to me in this regard, I would love to say like the Red Seas parted and, you know, the clouds opened up and a dove landed on my head or whatever. But, you know, when I finished it, but no, it was just, it's done. And it's the goal, like everything that we do in Philo is that, we can all become better technical artists, more effective so that our churches are more effective. That's the whole point. And so the plan isn't uh, to uh, make loads of money and then stop doing Philo or something like that. But just if we can, if there's any way we can help make all of us better, I'm better because of it. And, you know, for having written it, for having lived through a lot of that stuff, for God showing me those values. And yeah, if, if they can help other people, then... I love it. Yeah. Well, I have been made better because of Philo and because of the book as well. So I I will say thank you. I want to stop here and say thank you to you, Todd, for your, as Eugene Peterson says, long obedience in the same direction Mm. and overcoming. I know the number of obstacles that happen when putting together any sort of creative venture or putting a thing into the world. So thank you for that. Sure. We're going to take a little break from talking about me to talk about one of our key sponsors here at Philo. We've all felt the pain of a bad streaming experience. Statistically, 27% of viewers will abandon a stream after the first buffering wheel and another 40% after the second. Living as One was developed to provide a new streaming option for churches that, unlike any other system, can handle the problems of the public internet and result in exponentially more viewers being able to watch. With other live streaming systems, if video from the encoder doesn't make it to the cloud within a few seconds, that content is lost, resulting in those buffering wheels, jitter, and quality loss. With Living as One's web platform, there is no time limit on when video content is sent, and the cloud can wait for a perfect and complete copy without worrying about temporary network interruptions delaying your transmission. And this means that viewers will be watching the video from a perfect source in the cloud and that for the first time, they can have a glitch-free, uninterrupted viewing experience across any device. Streams can also be pushed simultaneously to Facebook, YouTube, mobile and TV apps, and other destinations from the same perfect source requiring no additional bandwidth from you. The team at Living as One, they've been honored to support Philo. We've loved having them as a part of the Philo community, and they would love to have a conversation about how to improve your online experience, even if it's unrelated to their platform. So go to livingasone.com slash Philo to learn more. All right, let's get back to more of me talking. 
I want to dive next into the pages of the book, but I did make a promise at the beginning. You have a, a good story of where this title comes from. The title is provocative and interesting. <laughs> um, and the, where it came from is also a great story. You've told it to me. So I, I want the listeners of this podcast to hear it as well. So where did the title come from? Yeah. So this goes back to 2002. So I'm still working in Michigan and the church that I was uh, working at, we had a staff Christmas party that each year a different department was responsible for the food and the, you know, setup. And one group always had, you know, what are we going to do? What's the entertainment? What's the, how are we going to use our time? What fun thing are we going to do? And this particular year, it was the youth department was responsible for the fun of the the party. And uh, one of the youth pastors had come up with fictional book titles that people on staff had written. So like we hadn't actually written any books and they weren't fiction books. They were just mm-hmm. pretend books that if, if so-and-so wrote a book, what would the title be? And mm-hmm. so they went down a list of all the people and mine was... I love Jesus, but I hate Christmas by Todd Elliott. And they actually had a book with a cover. And, you know, it was like a children's book that they taped a piece of paper to, uh, you know, that somebody had done some Photoshop work to. Anyway, I uh, got a huge laugh. And I still have the book, actually. The uh, original copy. The original copy of the book. <laughs> anyway, the over the years, that's always been in the back of my mind. And I think it's even been kind of, like the title page of the book for all these years has been, I love Jesus, but I hate Christmas or something else, you know, in parentheses, some other title. And yeah, I just, at one point, I ended up reaching out to this youth pastor and I said, hey, do you mind if I use this book title as the actual book title of the book I just wrote? And he was, yeah, like, oh man, I can't believe it. Sure, yes, love it. And Actually, now that I'm saying it, I probably need to send him a copy of the book. Uh, and probably, probably 10% of the proceeds as well. <laughs> right. I think that would be a We're going to strike blessing. this from the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. I love it. Okay, so now opening up the book, we've seen the cover. Let's open it up. And the, the book itself is, you know, it's a series. I love it's a series of sort of short essays and thoughts and that are organized into sort of these four categories right. or four parts. Uh, can you walk us through each of those parts individually? And I may interject with some, some questions sure. as you go. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, divide it up into four, four categories. The first one is really me telling my story about kind of the shift in my thinking from being just a tech person, so I'm using air quotes, just a tech person, a techie, that I'm only there to serve other people's needs. Going from that mindset to really the fact that all of us are artists in some way, and we're, we're working together with fellow artists to create something together. And your art is different from my art, and that's the way it's supposed to be. And so the whole idea is in that first section is, how do you view yourself? What is your identity? Are you just a techie or are you an artist working alongside fellow artists? Then the second section really lays down the foundation for the work we do as production people. So to be successful collaborating with fellow artists, you need to know how to do your job really well. And so the second part is really looking at production values that matter always, regardless of how big your service is, how many people attend, how big your budget is. There are things as simple as, you know, be prepared, 
or always have the table set. Yeah, one of I one of my favorites was you talk about like productions 80/20 rule. Oh right. In this, can you talk about that one a little bit cuz that was one of my favorites. Yeah, so the the 80/20 rule. So I used to get so mad in production meetings where we'd sit down with the creative team and we the production people would say, "Okay, what exactly is going to happen?" And so they would tell <laughs> us, you know, this this is exactly what's going to happen. And inevitably, there was about felt like 20% that didn't happen that way. And I started to realize that in reality, when you're creating something new, you don't, especially in a church environment where you don't have like a test audience and you have a chance to see, oh, that doesn't work, this does, and make something amazing. Over time, you're kind of like making something amazing. You're trying to make something amazing every seven days. And you're like, mm-hmm. well, we hope this works. We have a good idea, but we're not sure. And so for me, I started realizing, well, because we're doing something new all the time, there's a good chance that we can't know everything. It's just not possible because we've never done it before. And so the 80-20 rule for me was going into a production meeting saying, okay, I'm going to try to get 80% out of this. I'm going to know 80% of what's going on. And then I'm going to crush the 80% between now and the weekend. I'm going to get that stuff done and nail it to the ground. And then I'm going to be open-handed and ready and available for the 20% that's just unknowable. Mm -hmm. So when Saturday or Sunday comes, I'm ready for, all right, I'm ready for the curveball, the thing we couldn't plan for, the thing we didn't know about, because it happens. And uh, it just changed, that mindset changed really changed my attitude going into Sunday morning was instead of being mad that we missed some things, being proud of the team for crushing the 80% we did know. Yeah. And then being, because we were so prepared for that, we're we're also so prepared for what's going to happen next and let's do it. Yeah. I, I loved that part so much. It spoke to me specifically because I am while I do mostly creative work in terms of, you know, stage, I am more of a planner in that I want to know 100% what's going to happen. I come from the world of theater where everything is rehearsed 100 times before you do it. And so I myself would get really frustrated when we'd sit, I've sat in so many of those meetings where people are like, well, we'll kind of, we'll see, you know? And so I think that (laughs) That 20% side of it for me is so helpful because it does, it helps me to kind of let go of the control that I want to grip onto. But then the right. 80% is so important as well because it holds us accountable to to actually make plans and decisions. And that, that's just one example of a lot of the really practical kind of technique that you talk about in, in part two of the book. But yeah, part three, keep going. Yeah, so part three is where we figured out uh, in part one that we're, who are we? We're artists, artists of what? We need to figure that out. The second part, we built a foundation to, uh, of production values that we can now build on to collaborate with others. So the, the whole idea of part three is collaboration. So looking at ways to work more effectively with people from across the aisle, from the other side of the hallway. You know, we talked earlier about the gap that exists between the the stage and the booth, that this is all about us in the booth, getting out of the booth and moving towards the stage. It's If it's not happening now, it's not going to happen unless you do something about it. So this is, here are some tips and ways to think about collaboration that will hopefully help you and your creative counterparts work better together. 
Yeah, I'd love you have a one of the chapter titles, I believe, is Tech People Are From Mars, Everyone Else Is From Venus, yeah. which is just... <laughs> It's perfect. (laughs) Uh, I think, you know what? That was one of the very first chapters I ever wrote. So that, you know, the book, Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus or whatever that Mm -hmm. book title was, must have been big at that time. And that that just seemed to resonate so much with me that, yeah, we are very different. And Mm -hmm. for me, over time, the realization that is, if everybody were like me, I think one of the examples in the book is Jurassic Park, when that movie came out, one of the best most innovative movies ever. You know, it just blew my mm-hmm. mind when I saw it in the theater. That's how old I am. And then the challenge is that Jurassic Park 2, which is not even the name of the movie, is basically the same technology, you know, with maybe not as good a story on top right, of it. Right, right. And I think it's such a great example of if tech people were involved in making creative decisions about content, we would just making, be making Jurassic Park 2 movies all, over and over again because <laughs> we've done the hard work of figuring out the technology of how to make dinosaurs look real on film. Now let's just keep repeating it. Mm-hmm. And I think we need, as tech people, we need creative idea people to help make our services engaging. Otherwise, it would just be the same thing over and over again because we figured out how to do it and let's just repeat it. Mm-hmm. And so the whole idea of collaborating requires the fact that the, the idea people are different from the tech people and that's how it's supposed to be. That's how we make great art together. Yeah, that's that's the body of Christ. That's, you know, yeah. first, first Corinthians 12. And part of what happens, what you talk about in that section is like, okay, how can I not only respect the differences, but also how can I begin to bridge the gap? And those two things can happen simultaneously. Yeah, yep. And so then the fourth part is really about leadership, leading production people in a local church setting. And so I know that's not everybody who would be reading this book, but if you're leading a volunteer team or if you have staff people, just me looking at yeah some of the learnings of uh, over the years of leading production teams and how to do that effectively. And one of my, one of the chapters is about handling mistakes, which is one of my favorite topics of leadership because in production, mistakes happen. And Maybe there are two kinds of mistakes. There's the ones that happen because we're lazy, which is not really the ones I'm talking about. <laughs> but really the, the, the mistakes that we make because we're trying new things and we're stretching ourselves or d- we're developing people, that we're, mistakes are happening because we're, we're trying to expand our capacity. The real challenge is you, you can't just let mistakes happen. You have to understand that they're mistakes and work through them, learn from them, but they will, if, if you're doing your job right, they will happen. And how do you handle them? So, yeah, I love that. And I think the, the leadership aspect, you know, you, you talked before about how part of the origins of this book was noticing that there aren't a lot of resources out there like this. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of great leadership books out there. There's tons, but not only leading in, uh, in a church technical sort of environment, not only is that unique, but leading as someone who is a tech person is very unique because naturally a lot of those leadership books, they are written for type A extroverted people. And I don't mean to generalize, but on the whole, that's not necessarily (laughs) as true in terms of a personality trait of a church technical artist. And so I just love how 
kind of this this final section of the book, it, it just speaks about a universal concept of leadership, but in a specific way towards the Philo audience, which I think is is so, so important. Anything you want to say about that? Yeah, no, I think the the thing that's so interesting about this book and maybe almost any book that's written, I think everything has been said. There's hardly any new information out there, but I think it's real easy for a tech person who's leading, I'm just going to speak for myself, to see a book about leadership that exists for the type A CEO person, and mm-hmm. I'm just going to dismiss it. That's not for me. They don't understand my world, and so I'm not going to learn from that. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of what the book has tried to do, and even Philo in general, is take great principles that exist for leadership or for doing great work and apply them directly to what we're doing so that as much as we can, we're not, we don't have to do a whole lot of work to draw a line between the concept and my reality, but that the concept is in the context of our reality. So this book Mm -hmm. is written from, from a perspective of somebody doing technical arts in the local church and apply, how did I apply these principles to that work? Mm. So yeah, it's not the most earth shattering concepts, but the hope is that we can more easily readily apply them to our, to our situation. Yeah, absolutely. And so that kind of leads me to where I want to go next. You know, you just talked about that resistance that you yourself sometimes have to a book written about leadership sort of generically. What would you say to someone who's maybe listening to this podcast or who picks up your book and they might say, well, Todd, I... I'm not on staff at a church. I'm just a volunteer or I've never worked at a giant church like Willow Creek that has a big old budget. How does, how does this book speak to or apply to those situations? Really the question being like, who, who is this book for outside of just obviously yourself? Right. I think when I was writing this book, it was really, I was almost writing it to myself, my younger self to that person who was 22, right out of college, working at a church meeting in a high school. The things that I had to learn along the way in difficult ways, I wish if I had this book back then, I think it would have helped me tremendously avoid some of the minefields that I stepped on just because I was not aware. And also too, I still, I have so many conversations with people that, that are struggling with the same things I did struggle with or that I am struggling with as a tech person in the local church. And so I, you know, for me, I think about, about those people that are, you know, volunteering or on part-time staff or full-time staff. I, you know, it, I suppose it doesn't matter if you're, what kind of a role you have at your church. I mean, so many of us tech folks are cut from the same mold in a way it doesn't matter if you're working full-time, you're probably working too much. If you're part-time there, you're probably working too much. If you're a volunteer, you're probably working too much. And so <laughs> like we're, we're all kind of in that same boat of we've said yes to too much. We want to, uh, you know, be a great team player. And so we're going to suck it up and get it done. And I, yeah, I think so much of what's in here helps to frame how you think about how do I say yes to things? How do I say no to things? How 
Do I release some of the responsibility of whether we should do something or not and share it with someone else? Mm. And so, yeah, to me, who is the book for? Yeah, it doesn't matter if you're, you have 50 people in your congregation and you're the lone tech person or you're at a church of wow, however many thousands you want to, how many zeros you want to put behind it. And on a huge staff, there are principles here that apply to all of us. And uh, I tell a little bit of a story in the book where somebody asked me when I moved over from Michigan to Willow Creek, hey, does it make you nervous that you're, you're produce, helping to produce, you know, an event for 100,000 people, the Global Leadership Summit? Does it make you nervous? And I'm like, I haven't really thought about it because it doesn't matter to me. I'm, doing, I'm trying to do my very best and excellent mm. work. It doesn't matter if there's 50 people there or 50,000 people Obviously, there are challenges with 50,000 that don't, exi- don't exist with 50, but at the baseline, at the foundation, all those things that I think and feel and believe that I've written about in the book exist in both those situations. Yeah, and I think that is really what it means to be a true artist is the, the artist does their work the same way whether one person is there or whether a million people are there, whether five people are going to see it or whether 5,000 people are going to see it. The artist does it for the the respect of the craft and because it is what they were created to do. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I love hearing that. And I think not only is this book for individuals, but it's I, you've designed it in such a way where I think it works really well for groups as well. You had that in mind, right? Yeah. So the at the end of every little chapter section, there are there are discussion questions for you know each topic. So asking questions about how does this apply in your situation or what could you do about this or make a list of things that fall into this category. Just ways for individuals and probably more especially teams to discuss these topics so that your church can become more effective. So you're you as an artist become more effective, your teams work better. You know, you start looking at the list of production values that if everyone on our team owned these, how would that change how we would do ministry mm-hmm. or how would it uh, increase our effectiveness? And so it, the idea is it's a great resource to get everybody on your team on the same page. That's great. That's great vision, Todd. I love that. Uh, all right. So we're going to transition into sort of the final part of our conversation. I'm very okay. excited about this. We're moving to a bit of a fire round. Um, okay. And so what I've done, you haven't seen any of these questions, okay. is I put together some like quick answer, and I want your first kind of gut answer questions about the book. And so... I'm bracing yeah, myself right I now. just want your yeah. first gut reaction. And if if you don't like this you can cut this after. Okay. Um, this is not my podcast. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> all right. So here we go. Are you ready, Todd? I, I'm ready. All right. What was your favorite part of the book to write? The conclusion. What was the hardest part of the book to write? Uh, everything before the conclusion. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Which famous person would you be most excited to hear that they read your book? Oh my gosh. Winston Churchill. Wow. Which Philo core team member is least likely to read the book? (laughs) Dave Hunter. I knew it. I thought so too. (laughs) If this book were a food, what food would it be? 
Oh my gosh, it would be Wiener Schnitzel with the caramelized onions and uh, Spetzel on the side. I feel like you just chose a food that you like. I do. I did. <laughs> that's all. I, you told me to say the first thing that came into my mind. I love it. And that's, I love that's it. What gave it to my Wiener mind? Wiener Schnitzel on the mind. Um, <laughs> if this book were a dead that's president, the ti- that's which, the title of my next book, by the way. <laughs> Wiener Schnitzel yeah, on the mind. It's a cookbook. Yeah. <laughs> If this book were a dead president, which one would it be? <laughs> Abraham Lincoln. Perfect. If this book were a piece of technical gear, what would it be? Oh, my gosh. Um, a manual. Wow, that's, that's good. Not really yeah. That's good. I love it. I love <laughs> it. Todd, you have made it through the fire round. Congratulations. <laughs> Give yourself a pat on the back. Okay, done. <laughs> well done. Well done. Okay, I want to give you a chance to kind of tell everyone where they can get the book, all of that stuff. But before, I do want to say once again, on behalf of myself and the entire Philo community, thank you, Todd, not only Mm. for your leadership, but for the way that you faithfully continue to say yes to uh, the things that God places on your heart. Uh, And they're clearly things that are outside of your comfort zone. And this book is just another example of that. And so we are eternally grateful for your willingness to say yes to the work that God wants to do in and through you. So thank you for that. Thank you. And now where can people find this fantastic piece of literature? You can find it on our website. You can go to philo.org slash book. And we got a page there with stuff about the book and links to Amazon where you can buy the book. And on our website, we have the ability for you to buy 10 or more books at a discounted rate. So that's also on the philo.org slash book page. Just because we know if the idea is for groups to read this together, that's just a, we want to make that as easy as possible. Yeah, absolutely. So get the book, read the book, enjoy the book. And uh, if you're listening to this podcast, you probably already know this, but this book is just one of many extensions of the offerings of Philo. There is so much that Philo offers, including this podcast, um, including the Philo conference and many other things. All that can be found at the website, philo.org. And if you're a consistent listener to this podcast, leave a review. While you're leaving a review on the book, go over, leave a review on the podcast, make it a Philo review day. Put on your Philo shirt and do all of that. But yeah, it's been a pleasure, Todd. Thanks for inviting me to do this. I, I had a lot of fun. Yeah, me too. Thanks for not making me too uncomfortable. That was good. Yeah. You did great. You <laughs> made it through the fire round, which was really the... And you only talked about Wiener Schnitzel one time. So, <laughs> good. Actually, We're twice good. because it's my new book too. So That's true. That's book. true. Yeah. Can't wait for the sequel. <laughs> and uh, yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. I really had fun doing this with John. It was cool to kind of remember the origin story of the book and even some of my own journey over the years and just talking about it out loud is not something I do a lot of. While it's kind of cool to say that I wrote a book, the real reason I did it was to help most of us serving in the local church doing production, really to move towards a more healthy life and to hopefully catch a glimpse of how to be the best version of ourselves we can be. To find out more about the book, you can go to philo.org slash book. You can order a copy for yourself, or you can also order in bulk on the site for your entire team. There will even be an audio version out for those of you who learn best by listening. 
Don't forget, Philo and Espanol, September 4th and 5th. Check out our website for all the information. You can follow us on at Philo Community on Facebook and Instagram and at Philo Conference on Twitter. And you can always see what's happening on philo.org. And if you have any questions or suggestions for the podcast, please send us an email. We'd love to hear your suggestions. Philo podcast at philo.org. Also, don't forget, give us a review wherever you subscribe to your podcast. The more positive reviews gives us a wider reach to help more people. That's the whole goal. It's been good to be with you again. Until next time, see ya. Thank you.